0: Well, good morning, everyone. I hope everybody had a, a great Thanksgiving. Um, that you remember to give thanks between the gravy and the goalposts. And uh, so, uh, let me open us with a word of prayer. Before, but first, let's let me test your liturgical knowledge. Uh, today is a big, high holy day in the life of the Christian Church. Does anybody know it? This special day is. um, This is serious, not joke. Anybody know what today is? Okay, this is the this is the last day of the year in the Christian calendar. See, the Christian calendar begins with Advent, the first Sunday of Advent, which will be a week from today. So it ends on Christ the King Sunday. So the church year ends with, and it's very. This is uh, on purpose and saying at the end, when everything the dust is settled, Christ is King. And so, um, and it's always the Sunday after Thanksgiving and I'd always preach some sermon on the Lordship of Christ and nobody was there because everybody's gone on Thanksgiving weekend. So thank you for being here, uh, wherever two or three are gathered but we've got more so that's great. Well, let me open us with a word of prayer. I'm going to try to do it in a thankful way. Lord God Almighty, we thank you for who you are, that we're not you, that you are sovereign. We're thankful that you thought of each of us by name, for for the foundation of the world. And we thank you that when we messed things up and got ourselves in a jam we couldn't fix, Uh, you went on a rescue mission and came in the person of Jesus Christ in flesh and blood to do what we could not and could never do for ourselves. We thank you that you came and on the cross uh, accomplished that once for all sufficient, perfect, infinite sacrifice that covers all of our sins, even the sins we don't know we've committed, that we've never had an opportunity to confess. And we're thankful that you raised Jesus bodily from the grave as the sign and seal that it is indeed finished, that uh, hell is barred from us and eternal life is wide open because of what you've done. We thank you that your Holy Spirit has taken up residence in each of us as we have bowed the knee to Christ. And may we uh, learn throughout our life to, to live more and more out of that reality. Um, so that we might live well and prepare to die well. And we thank you that uh, death has lost its power, its sting, and we'll never have the last word in our lives. And so, Lord, we're filled with thankfulness for our family, for friends, for this church, for the privilege of living in this great nation, and uh, that you've given us another day, and that we can gather here on your day on this Christ the King Sunday and give you thanks that... The universe and this world and our lives are not up for grabs, but are ruled by your omnipotent hand, even though we don't always see it, and sometimes we feel like we don't know what's going on, but we trust, we thank you that we can trust, that you're weaving everything into your perfect plan of salvation for us and for the redemption of even the creation. And so we give you great thanks and praise, and we do so in the strong and saving name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. you want to be hands-free? Well, I'm, I did this two weeks ago, and it worked, just having it up here. I don't know why I was going. Yeah, he to it. Well, he may have it now. I asked the guy if, for a clip, and he couldn't find one. So
1: Once they're gone, they're gone.
0: Yeah, you know, at Highland Park Press, we had clips up the kazoo. Yeah, actually, You have better mics in worship here than Highland Park does. Anyway, um, anybody ever familiar with a columnist? Uh, He doesn't write anymore. He was a humor columnist named Dave Barry. Uh, Dave is one of my favorite columnists. He used to write in the Dallas Morning News. His dad's a Presbyterian pastor, but Dave claims to be an atheist, um, which uh, I bring this up because, you know, Thanksgiving must be a tough day to be an atheist. I mean, who do you give thanks to? Uh, I thank myself. You know, it just doesn't work. And you know, I I said last week when I was bantering with Paul, I don't believe there are any atheists in the world. I don't believe there's anybody who truly believes there is no God. Uh, I believe there are agnostics. People who say, well, I'm just not sure. And every agnostic I know is pretty humble. but every atheist I know who claims to be an atheist is always arrogant and in your face and combative and belligerent. And I always say to them, you know, you're not an atheist. I said, if you, you don't get worked up about something you don't believe exists. You know, you don't, nobody comes up to you and goes, I believe in unicorns. If you don't, you're an idiot. We don't see people like that because we know unicorns don't exist. So an atheist, my, in my estimate, is someone who is, believes there is a God who doesn't like the fact that the God, God's in control and he's not, and he wants to be God or she wants to be God. So they're in abject rebellion and, and they get real worked up about that. Well, Dave Barry claims to be uh, an atheist, his poor dad. Um, but the reason I bring him up is because I remember he wrote a column back in the early 2000s And it was a Thanksgiving (laughs) column. Here's the way it began. And I couldn't find the actual column, but I remember almost verbatim how he begins. He says, ah, Thanksgiving, that great American holiday when families gather together to remember and remind themselves why they don't live together. And Anyway, I hope that wasn't your experience with this Thanksgiving. But anyway, I want us to look at a key thing thanksgiving text in scripture. It's up there in the word, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. And I want us to take a look at this because it is a classic thanksgiving text. Pastors all over the world preach on this uh, every thanksgiving. I've preached on it numerous times um, at either a thanksgiving service or thanksgiving eve service. Now I'm going to play the grumpy old former senior pastor. Uh, When I was a senior pastor in Baltimore, Dallas, and here, we had a Thanksgiving Eve service every year. And when I was was a little kid, my Church of the Atonement, Associate Reform Presbyterian Church, we had a Thanksgiving Day service. I didn't like that. You know, I wanted to. And they had a Christmas day, we had Christmas Eve and Christmas Day services when I was a kid. And uh, so I liked when I came here as an associate pastor, we had Thanksgiving Eve. And then I had Thanksgiving Day off. Same in Baltimore, I got there, we have a Thanksgiving Eve service. Great. Get to Dallas, and they said, we have a Thanksgiving Day service. And I was like, oh no. But that became one of my favorite services of the year. We had a thousand people there sanctuary packed out a lot of people from all over the city came and we we had trombones and trumpets and timpani and the whole we really pulled the stops out it became a glorious it's gone they don't do that at Highland Park president no Thanksgiving Eve north so I'm playing the grumpy old what's wrong with these new young pastors um, now I didn't say that and erase that off the tape um, so anyway, uh, Scott Peck, in his classic book, The Road Less Traveled, if you've never read that, it's, it's a classic. It begins with this, this iconic sentence, life is difficult. And by the way, Scott Peck wrote a book after that called People of the Lie. I recommend, if you ever wonder why there are mean people in the church and why church members do some really bizarre, sinful thing, uh, read Scott Peck's book. And the introduction is precious because he describes how he becomes a Christian writing The Road Less Traveled and uh, becomes a strong believer in Christ. I actually got to meet him and uh, Marilyn Rinfus was a member here and she uh, was a mathematics teacher and she was asked to chair the state of Texas math teachers convention here in San Antonio and she got Scott Peck to come and she got me to come <laughs> and banter back and forth with him about people of the law. and it was really an interesting day I was down in the um, convention center uh, about 8,000 math teachers talking about demons it was very interesting uh, anyway life is difficult and it is um, which creates a dilemma for you and me with this text. I mean, let's be honest. Um, You know, we all talk about, we wanna know what God's will is for our lives. Usually that means I wanna know if I'm supposed to take this job or or if I'm to, you know, marry this person or go here or there. I always tell people, well, we get God's macro will in scripture. He's not gonna tell you which sock to put on first today. But the Bible does give us a macro will of God. And this is one of these texts. You want to know what God's will is for your life? Let me read it first. This is what Paul says. Um, Rejoice always. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I don't know about you, but look at that. Can we talk about some other will of God? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. How do you do that? Give thanks in all circumstances. Now remember, Paul's not a Pollyanna, he's a guy who's been shipwrecked, beaten, uh, stoned. And you could, a lot of scholars think when Paul was stoned, there was a a resuscitation miracle that God raised him from the dead after that. Because when you stone people back then, it was not that they picked up handfuls of gravel and they would take like boulders and crush their heads and everything. So some people think Paul was actually killed because he talks about He was stoned, left for dead, and then he he wasn't dead. Very few people survive stoning. Um, so he's been through the mill. This is probably his earliest letter, um, so he's still got a lot of stuff to go through. But um, he, he, he knew it pain and tragedy, and to be on the outside looking in as a minority uh, spiritually, and Roman oppression. And so he's not a Candy Cody type of guy. And yet he's able to say, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Well, I'm going to unpack these things and see if we can figure out what Paul is saying. You know, my good friend in Dallas, Jim Dennison, says, you know, always treat every every person you meet gently because every person is fighting some kind of battle. That's true. Life is difficult. And so how do we do this in the midst of all the tragedy and difficulty and Disappointment of life. Um, Well, I'm going to help you hopefully understand. Rejoice always. Now, we know we're supposed to be joyful as Christians, but always? The reason we have trouble with this is because we, and I include myself, most of the time I confuse joy with happiness. Paul does not say be happy always he says rejoice always happy that word is derived from the word happenstance which means you know happenings in your life that come and go and you don't have any control over them and some are good and some are bad and so when you and i have something bad happen in our life we're not happy and we shouldn't be. When we have something good happen in our lives, then we are happy, and we should celebrate that. And but it's it's kind of like happiness depends on what's happening in your life at the given moment. That is not what Paul is talking about. He knows what it's like to be sad and um, down. But there's a difference between joy and happiness. Joy is a steady state thing. It's you and I get joy, real joy, when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in you. And the joy is a relationship with Christ that nothing can destroy. Nothing can ever change that. Jesus in John 10 says, I'm the good shepherd, you're my sheep. I know you by name, I've called you to be mine. And I've got you in the hollow of my hand. And and then he says, nothing can snatch you from my hand. Now, if you really understand that and believe that, there's a joy there that, you know, nothing can derail your train to eternal life with Christ, a life that's going on right now and, and forevermore. And if you realize that, that stirs up a joy in you. The best example of a living human being that I know of, that displayed that kind of joy, and some of you know Lloyd Jean Williams, and some of you have no clue. Lloyd Jean used to be an assistant cook here at the church. And Lloyd Jean was like, you remember that comic strip, Little Abner? And there was that character called Joe, and then there's all these letters, you couldn't pronounce his last name, Joe Glulix. And he always had this dark cloud That was Lloyd Jean. Her house burned down. Her car was stolen. Her youngest son got put in prison. And there was calamity after calamity, almost like the calamity of the day for Lloyd Jean. And she's a dear friend of mine. I did her funeral here a couple years ago. And I'd hear about something bad that happened to Lloyd Jean. And so I'd seek her out and I'd go, Jean, how are you doing? And her reaction was always the same. I'm so blessed. And then she'd wind up ministering to me and in the midst of her, but she had this joy of Christ in her and she knew nothing could change that, not her house burning down or anything else. So if you've really met Christ, there should be a joy there, even in the midst of the worst things. When our our daughter Anna drowned, Um, I was, you know, the afternoon of that we were at our house, I guess it was after she had died, and the first afternoon after that, Bob Bullock came by our house, and he came up to me, and he threw his arms around me, and then he just whispered in my ear something that might sound horrible to you, but it has carried me to this day. It carried me then, he, he quoted from uh, Habakkuk. He said, Though he slay me, yet will I praise him. And that may sound awful. That's all he said. Then he went away. That buoyed me, because I knew that had the ring of truth. And there was a joy. that I thought, yeah, nothing can change my standing in Christ. Um, I didn't jump up and down and throw a party, but there was that joy that buoyed me through that tragedy and cancer with my youngest son and, and a bunch of other stuff. Um, so when Paul says rejoice always, it's like he's saying concentrate on the fact that you have a steady state of joy that nothing in life can change. And focus in on that no matter what you're going through, the good, the bad the ugly. What about pray without ceasing? I mean, you have to work or you have to eat and you can't just be praying all the time. Um, Let's talk a little bit about what prayer is. A lot of times we think, well, you've got to have a set time and rote prayers or whatever. That all changes if you understand that what prayer really is is simply conversation with God. And when I, see, I preached on this verse one time, and I said, think of your life as a running conversation with God. Now, what does that mean? If you want to dig deeper on this, let me recommend a little book to you. Is a book recommended to me by, some of you remember, Dick Ryan, who's an associate pastor here. And Dick actually gave me the book and said, you need to read this. It's called The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection. It was written in the 17th century. Brother Lawrence is a monk. He's in an abbey and he's got chores that he has to do every day. He works in the kitchen, chopping vegetables. But well, then, if you know anything about monasteries, they have orders of the day. At a certain time, the bell rings and they all go to the chapel and they pray and they sing hymns and have a sermon. And then they go back and go back to work, and then they have about five orders of the day when they do that. And Brother Lawrence started thinking, wait a minute. He started focusing on the verse where Jesus says, remember, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. And he started thinking, well, if Jesus is with me always, I don't really need to wait for the order of the day. And so Brother Lawrence invites Christ into the kitchen with him and as he's chopping vegetables he's he he talks with Christ about everything that's going on in his day the word about this this was scandalous to some people back in those days intriguing to others anyway the word about this gets out people start coming and sitting in his feet explain this to us and Really, the the book is is a response to a a well-to-do lady who writes and says, tell me what this is all about. And I read that book and it was a paradigm shift for me like no other except for reading the Bible. And ever since then, I don't, I can't, it's hard to explain it, I just have this constant sense of Christ being here and whatever I'm going through, I don't go, dear Jesus, I'm about to teach this Sunday school class and, no, but I'm, While I'm talking to you, I'm even saying, Christ, help me here. Help me. Um, And I find myself doing that no matter what I'm doing. Just little arrow prayers going up, but throughout the day. And so if you start thinking of your life as a running conversation with God, I think that's what Paul's getting at here. Um, Invite Christ into every facet of your life and talk things over with him. Uh, If you're a businessman, um, I mean, I, there's a thing that I'm very interested in called bus, business is ministry, helping lay people realize your business is your ministry. Sunday's not your ministry, it's what you're doing. And I had an elder in my church in Baltimore, Dave Hungerford, who invented the knee and hip replacement. Because I got two <laughs> knee, two hips and a knee. And um, He's the, he, well, he died a couple years ago. He was the world's foremost orthopedic surgeon in the whole world. He said, Johns Hopkins. And the Saudi family would bring him over there to do any of their operations. And he'd always take his residents with him. And he said, All my residents graduated debt free because the Saudis would meet us on the tarmac and he'd, they'd hand him and all the residents envelopes. And he said, We never talk price. They don't have insurance or they don't need it. And my fellows would come back with usually five or six hundred thousand dollars and and so uh, a lot of guys wanted to work for Dave as a fellow Um, but Dave if if you were gonna get a knee replacement he would give you his brochure and explains the procedure and blah, blah 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 then at the end he says you need to know I'm a practicing Christian which means I'm not gonna preach to you but I'm gonna pray for you before during and after the surgery. And that's all it said, didn't, you know, sermonize or anything like that. And I thought, what a great witness. Um, So, think about that as if you're a businessman, um, put a Bible on your desk and see what conversations that might start. You don't have to open it up and read to anyway. Just have it sitting there. You'd be surprised. I've had people in this church do that and they said. it's changed everything. People come in and they they open up. You must be a believer. Can I talk to you about this? So, business as ministry. Um, So, pray without ceasing. Now, what about this? Has Paul gone off the rails here? Give thanks. It should be plural. In all circumstances. That sounds impossible if not crazy to me. Usually we we balk on this because it doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. It says give thanks in all circumstances. So I'm in a car wreck and I'm all beat up. I'm supposed to give thanks? No, you're not just thank God for the car wreck. but you are to start looking around at what can I be thankful? I'm, I'm not dead. Um, usually, I've had eight orthopedic surgeries and 11 broken bones, and I always think, well, it could have been worse. When I fell and cracked my ribs, I fell going downhill, full weight, and I'm 200 pounds, on a boulder, and boulders don't have any give to them, folks. And I thought, you know, if that had been my head that hit, I'd be dead. I thank God I'm I'm alive I was not happy I could still be joyful and this doesn't change my standing in Christ and believe me I did a lot of praying Um, I didn't know if I'd done internal injuries and uh, I refused to go to the doctor and said you got to go get I said, no I'm not gonna do it if I start seeing blood where I shouldn't see it I'll go Um, but to give thanks and all circumstances. Um, That's hard to do Uh, and we've all been through this COVID thing and if we went around the room and I said, name your three tragic things going on in your life right now, I bet you everybody could do it. And so this seems kind of annie ish Well Again, like Lloyd Jean, it's, it's good to see a human being who models this force. It can be done. This give thanks in all circumstances. So I'm going to tell you a story about a real live pastor named Martin Rinkert. He's in the 17th century. But you need to know the context of Martin Rinkert's ministry. Have you heard of, you know... We just went through this, we're maybe still going through this pandemic, COVID pandemic. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the first recorded worldwide pandemic. It's not COVID, it was called the Black Plague, the bubonic plague. Now, this was not a short lived pandemic, it went for three Hundred years in three big waves around the world. The, f- the second wave was the worst, two thirds of the population of Europe died in that second wave. Now simultaneous with the bubonic plague, um, I'm sorry I gave you wrong information, the plague lasted 600 years from 1300 to 1900. Wikipedia said it. It must be true. Um, (laughs) The symptoms were horrific. You get these bulbous things in your armpits, your groin, and your neck. You died a very painful death. They didn't know what was causing it because it was pre-scientific. Caused by fleas coming off rats that and being transported around the world by ships. The rats would get on board the ship. And so it was spreading everywhere, but they didn't know what was causing it. The death rate was 60 to 90 percent. Wiped out two-thirds of Europe in that second go-around in the uh, 17th century. They did lockdowns, isolation. They uh, tried to experiment with vaccines. Nothing worked. Sound familiar? (laughs) Now, Martin Rinkert grew up in Germany. He was born in Saxony in 1586. And he grew up in a very poor family, Um, but he felt God's call to become a pastor. His dad didn't want him to do that because there's no money, and that, Uh, but he answered the call. And he became pastor in the town of Eilenburg, Germany. Um, the year after he started his ministry, the Thirty Years' War broke out across Europe. And you had the, the, the Swiss <laughs> attacking the Germans. I mean, Swiss that don't you know bother anybody now, but they were attacking Germans and Germans were attacking the French. This 30 years war, and that's how long it lasted, and it was pretty bloody. And Eilenburg, though, was probably the best city to be in. It was a town, it wasn't a city, because it was walled. They had a big wall around it. And the Swiss Army would come and, and uh, attack, uh, but they couldn't get through. And um, And everybody in Germany was fleeing for refuge to Eilenburg. And so suddenly you have all these people living together in this small town. And it's under siege by the Swiss. And the bubonic plague breaks out in the town. Martin Rinkert, there's four pastors in the town. Three of them die from the plague. Martin's the only guy left. Everybody in the town, 8,000 people in that town died under his watch. He thought about fleeing and decided, no, God's called me to be here. I'm the only one who can minister to these people. He did, on many days, he did 40 to 50 funerals in one day. He buried, personally, over 4,000 of those 8,000. What about the other 4,000? Well, so many of them were dying all at once. They dug trenches and just threw the bodies in there and he would just do a you know, one-shot deal, cover them all. So he's watching these people die, including his wife dies. He does her funeral. There, meanwhile, the Swiss are out there starving the city, literally, to death. Martin Rinkert says we're all gonna die so he says those of you that are, feel called by God come with me we're gonna go out to the Swiss and we're gonna kneel down and pray in front of them and pray for them and he does they do a few people go with him and the Swiss are so impressed they leave leave him alone. Meanwhile, before he goes out there inside, you have, you have the war going on, you have the bubonic plain, plague and famine in the city. Martin couldn't feed his children. He records how he sees people fighting over a dead cat in the street to eat. That's how bad it was. Remember that TV show if you're old like me, Queen for a Day? Sure they. I mean it's kinda horrible. They put Usually it, was, usually it was three women and they'd tell their sob stories and then they would, you know, put their hand over their head. <sighs> Whatever the audience clapped laughs for, you know, they were queen for a day. Well, Martin Rinkert would have been king for the century. Uh, his story was so awful. Um, if anybody in the history of the world should be depressed and absolute despair Um, If anybody had a right to throw a pity party and be bitter and not give thanks in all circumstances, it would be Martin Rinkert. Here in the midst of the plague, in the midst of the Thirty Years War, which ended the year before he died, so he never really—his whole ministry was plague and war and watching his own family die. but in the midst of this, in 1636, Martin Rinkert sits down and pens a hymn. It's a hymn, and I've got it right here for you. It's sung, just pass these around if you don't have one. A hymn that you all know that's often sung on Thanksgiving That's the story behind this hymn. And I want you to look at it and say, is there any bitterness in here? Is there any despair? I mean, this is a guy who's been through the mill. And yet, in the midst of all that, he is able to give thanks. And I want to end with Ephesians 5, verses 18 through 20. This is Paul, again, writing. He says, um, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I thought, you know, we believe the Bible's true and it is the will of God. And Paul's given us another will of God. When you're in the midst of this stuff, uh, address each other with hymns and songs. That's what Martin Rinkert did. And I'm not a singer and I'm not a song leader, but I thought we'd end today and then maybe we'll open up for some questions uh, by singing this great Thanksgiving hymn, and think about it, pay attention to the words, remember this is written in the midst of the 30 years war, the bubonic plague, in the wake of his wife's death, his children are starving, and it it looks like curtains, Um, and yet here this great man writes this hymn. So I'll try to lead us, I'm going to take this microphone off because it'll be too embarrassing. Okay, let's let's try to sing.
1: Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices who wondrous things has done in whom his world rejoices who from our mother's arms has blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today oh may this bounteous god through all our life be near us with ever joyful hearts and blessed peace to cheer us and keep us in his grace and guide us when perplexed and free us from all ills in this world and the all praise and thanks to god the father now be given the son and him who reigns with them in highest heaven the one eternal god whom earth and heaven adore. For thus it was his now. And shall be
0: evermore. Y'all are good. You've got the choir shaking in their boots. Mm-hmm. Thank you for telling us that story. I'll think of that every time we sing. That yeah, it's... it's Quite a story, and it's you know. I don't know about you, but for me, I need I can hear this and go, yeah, I need to do it. But I need to see living human being. That's why when when you go through a tragedy, God might be allowing you to go through that because you're going to help somebody down the road. Um, when Ann and I, our daughter Anna, drowned, the most comforting people to us were the people we knew well but we didn't know that they had lost children. And they wouldn't come up to us and they would just say, we know what you're going through, we lost a child. And I'd look at them and I'd go, they're not crazy. I've known them for years. They laugh, they live life normally because you think I'm not going to make it and I'll never laugh again, I'll never have joy again, I'll never be happy, I'll never... And you see those people and think, that was my hope. That's what I latched, held on to them. I didn't tell them that. And the same, those of you that have been diagnosed with cancer know that you look to the people who are already down the road from you as your guides and hope. And so um, God's weaving all this together for us to make the journey together. Let me open up for some questions uh, about anything I've said today or the Apostles' Creed uh, or anything else that's on your mind. Um, This is your chance to have at me. Conversation, you know, when you you and I have a conversation, it's not one way. And that's why I say a daily devotional time or quiet time, whatever you want to call it, it's not optional. If, if, if you can make the case, I mean, throughout Scripture, it's all about a relationship with God. God's not just up there and we're down here. Right away, God is in relationship with Adam and Eve. He's in relationship with all the characters of the Bible. And, uh, you know, I'd like to say it's not about religion. It's about relationship. And so what makes a relationship work? I always say, think of your best friend. Just think of that person. And you say to yourself, okay, I'm not going to listen to that person for the next six months. No matter what they say to me, I'm not gonna listen. In fact, I'm not gonna, or then the next six months, I'm not gonna speak to them. Well, where's that relationship gonna be in (laughs) six months? It's gonna be gone. I mean, it's give and take, back and forth. And so when we, Pray what we formally think of as prayers, we address God, and talk to God. Then we listen chiefly by reading His Word. He's speaking to us. And there are other times when, I mean, He puts a sense of whatever in us to do something or not. It doesn't always come from Scripture, but we always need to check it out against Scripture. If He says, I want you to go rob the 7 down the street. Now, that's probably not, that's a different spirit talking to you. So you need to have this as your anchor. But when I was called into the ministry, I I was a pre-veterinary major. I didn't want to be a pastor. And I thought, you know, is there anybody else up there? I thought my wires, my antenna was bent or something. I even said to God, I'll go to seminary for one year, it ain't going to work, and then I'll go to Texas A&M and be a large animal vet. And here I am today. So, uh, but that was a sense. I was laying in my apartment in Houston, and God said, I mean, it was, I didn't audibly hear, but it was overwhelming. You are not to be a veterinarian, you're to be a pastor. Anyway. So, God does speak to us. But he speaks in a still, small voice. And we crowd out. We're busy all the time. We're listening to other stuff, the cacophony of the stuff TV's on, and we've got cell phones. And and so... That's why it's good just to get away and say, speak, Lord, your servant listens. And you may hear something, you may not. Great. So Sean. The second book title, the title of the second book, The Practice of the the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection. Yep. That's a classic, Christian classic. If you've not read it, you need to. We're saved by grace, but when you get to heaven, Peter will say, have you read the practice? Anything else? We've got plenty of time. Well, I'll let you out early then, I guess. Um, Next week, I'm going to teach again on a totally different thing. Uh, We're going to drill down on Gnosticism. That sounds kind of... What? The biggest heresy in the church today is the heresy of Gnosticism, and you might be saying, I don't know what he's talking about. You will after next Sunday. Uh, Next Sunday is the first Sunday in Advent. That's when we start celebrating the incarnation of God, that God, whose spirit, becomes flesh in the birth and life of Jesus Christ. And A battle raged in the early church. I don't want to steal all my thunder here. Uh, uh, The Gnostic movement came out of Plato and Aristotle, and they're teaching that what is really real in life is not the physical, but only the spiritual. And that whole idea of that when you die, your spirit goes up, and you're going to be a spirit for the rest of, you shed this awful encumbering body and you'll be free. That's Plato, that's not the Bible. The Bible knows nothing of a only spiritual human being. It's spirit and flesh together. And again, I don't want to steal my thunder, but yeah, when we die, our spirit does go to be with Christ. But we're a disembodied spirit and that's not the way God created you and me to be. And he rectifies that in the second coming of Christ and we get a resurrection, solid flesh and bone body. Like Jesus, for the first time, we'll really be human. Flesh and spirit minus sin and all the brokenness that's part of it. So the Gnostic stream got into the early church early on and there was great debates um, over, you know, the physicality of the resurrection and all this stuff, and it still goes on today. I still it's in this church. I know people in this church. If I said to them, "What, what's, how are you going to, what is eternity going to be like for you?" Oh, I guess we'll be on a cloud or something, a spirit floating around. God, my um, that's not the Bible. So I'll tell you, I teach about Gnosticism and how to avoid it and how to root it out. And the incarnation is the antidote to the whole idea of Gnosticism. Tom? Is there
1: something you want us to read in preparation?
0: Well, if you want to just Google Gnosticism, look at it and get, so that'll prep you to, you know, I can't yes, think if of any. Who are spelling challenged, would you write it on the board? Sure. <laughs> it's the silent G. Gnosti, the Greek word gnosis means knowledge. And um, the Gnostics, they thought the goal was to get this secret special knowledge that's going to make you super spiritual. And you get rid of this body and you're going to be this super being in eternity. And um, it's, it's very appealing. Again, I don't want to steal my thunder, but it, to give you a concrete example of how this works out, I know Christians who who've bid on this, and so they'll say things like, um, well, I'll give you an example. I was premaritally counseling a couple when I was an associate pastor here, and in the middle of the conversation, he or she said, well, you know, I woke up in the middle of the night last night, and I, I woke up Jill and said, Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I said, okay, we've got to stop. And I'm not trying to be judgmental or anything, but I want what's God's best for your life. Living together is not God's plan. It's, and I can even I even threw throughout them the secular stats that show if you live together before you get married, you have twice the divorce rate than if you don't. And I said, you know, I, I want God's... And your honeymoon will be a whole lot better if you guys just move out. And, in fact, um, if you'll, I'll work with you if you'll work with me. And we'll make this happen. Well, I remember she looked at me and she said, My Jesus has no problem with that at all. And then they stormed out. And so there are Christian Gnostics who say the body's not of interest to God. It's really about the spiritual... So he didn't really, it doesn't really matter what I do with my body. I can do anything, take drugs or be promiscuous as long as I have this spiritual thing going over here. That's what God's interested in. He's not. Then there's the other extreme of that where you go, the body is bad, so I've got to beat it down. And you have those aesthetics go out into the desert and climb up on poles and sit so there for 30 years, you know. And, uh, I remember I was down here in the 80s sometime. It was late at night. I was alone in the building. And uh, the doors were unlocked. This was a good old day. And these three guys came in wearing white robes. And I said, hi, can I help you? Yes, we're on a journey to meet with Jesus. And he's told us where to spend the night in this church. Tonight. I said, hey, no problem. This is before we built that building over there. We had, I was in charge of the youth building. We had dorms and showers and everything. I said, like, no problem. You guys can sleep. Uh, we've got beds. Sure. No, no. We're, we're to sleep in the sanctuary. Because that's where the presence of God I said, you can't do that. Yes, Jesus told us. And we're to meet him in Bernie. But we need to spend the night here. I was like, oh, man. And then the guy looks at my hand and he says, are you married? And I said, yes, I am. Well, that's proof that you're of the Antichrist because marriage is evil and whoa, whoa, these guys are Gnostics. <laughs> so that's the other side. They would say doing anything with your body like being married and not being celibate is awful. So it takes all different forms, so you want to avoid that stuff. So I eventually said, there's the door right there, and I ushered them out and said, you ain't sleeping in the sanctuary. But you can sleep there. They didn't want to. So hopefully they made it to Bernie and met up with Jesus. (laughs) Let me pray for us, and then we'll go to worship or McCuller room, wherever you're headed. Lord God, again, we give you thanks. We thank you for men and women like Martin Rinkert, who in the midst of it's about the worst thing I can ever think of going through. And yet he remained faithful. Um, we were, sang his hymn, and there was joy uh, there. He, even in the midst of that, he was rejoicing because he, he knew his standing in Christ nothing could affect that. Nothing could thwart his salvation, his eternal life. And he understood what that reality was, and that gave him great joy. And he obviously was a man who was on his knees, literally praying without ceasing, even in front of the Swiss Army, which you use to convict them and make them go away. And he uh, was able to give thanks, even in the wake of his wife's death, in the midst of the plague, 30 years war, and sit down and pen this great hymn of thanksgiving. Lord, I pray that you would give each of us here uh, that same depth of the Holy Spirit that you gave Martin Rinkert so that whatever happens in our lives, good, bad, indifferent, we would indeed rejoice always, pray unceasingly, and in everything give thanks because of who you are and what you've done for us in Jesus Christ. And keep us healthy and strong during the rest of the week and bring us back together next Sunday if that would be your will.